Mental health is real. You can work yourself to death. Like I was very sick. You have to take care of yourself. Like you have to find a resolution. Sound like that was burnout that you went through. Yeah, pretty much. It was burnout. Um, And it was interesting. Like it physically manifested itself. It just came from stress of like trying to work so hard, traveling constantly to get new clients, to fulfill our influencer counts, all the above. So that was a big lesson I had to learn too, was that like mental and physical health, taking care of yourself so you can help others is very important. You're listening to The Big Asian Energy Show, where every week we interview Asian experts, move makers, and ceiling breakers to uncover their secrets to success so we can help you reach your greatest potential. I'm your host, John Wang. Let's dive in. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, I'm here talking to Rachel Mang Brown, who is the CEO and founder of Gen, G-E-N Agency, formerly Loot Agency. She's a full-time consultant of marketing, partnerships, events, and strategy. She has an incredible background. She was awarded NYC's 20 in their 20s. She has been recently declared an unsung hero by AHN's Unsung Heroes Award, and she has a background, what I've mentioned, as a Big Ten student-athlete official TikTok partner front office sports staff partner, partnering with brands like Netflix, Kellogg's, Amazon, Coca-Cola, worked in front offices of the NY Mets, Rutgers football, and this list goes on. PGA Tour, US Rowings, she's partnered with influencers with a combined reach of over 82 million plus followers and creates incredible viral experiential content for them. Thank you so much for being here today, Rachel. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I should have shortened that intro down a little bit. (laughs) No, you deserve every single word of it. This is something I really heard from a number of different people. And it's the being the only Asian in the room, especially since you grew up and that wasn't a big part of your own personal identity or culture. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is at that time you haven't, I would say, stepped fully into it or start exploring Mm -hmm. it. What was it like being the only Asian person in the room? It was interesting. And I think the reason is because, again, my parents are Caucasian. And even if I wasn't the only Asian in the room, I was so American. American. (laughs) My like American name is Rachel Brown. It's a confusing name. Brown isn't always a Caucasian last name too. So I would step in there and people would be like, oh, okay. So (laughs) I think right from the start, it's always been something that is interesting. And it's always been something that I feel almost like the need to explain because people do question it pretty often. Really? Like people actually bring it up? Even my name. So I actually, I go by Rachel Mang now because even when I was getting recruited to college, it was a talking point at every single official visit I went to because we wear sunglasses when we race for rowing. So people never really saw my face. It was always hidden. So when I would get to campus, they'd be like, oh, and bring it up very lightly along the way. But being the only Asian in the room, I think it's different for me because Mm -hmm. I don't have as much of a tie to my culture or even speak another language that Mm -hmm. a lot of these other Asian American like executives, startup founders, people, entrepreneurs that they do. I feel Mm -hmm. like I am a totally different segment or like sub roster of an Asian American. And so finding myself (laughs) in the room, it's not only interesting for me being one of the few Asians in the room and like age, et cetera, gender, but then also like I am so Americanized that it's even different for me. And I hear this so often, especially with second generation, third generation Asians, Mm -hmm. you're obviously experiencing a different name and being an adoptee. Am I Asian enough? If you don't speak the language like Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Taiwanese, like wherever you're from, I think that is a big sticking point that you don't 
feel like air quotes Asian enough just because you don't speak the language. And maybe because we live in America, we celebrate so many holidays that they don't celebrate in the country that you're from or New Year's is different things like that. So if you live in America and you're Asian, there's probably a time that you did not feel Asian enough. Which is a ridiculous concept because what the hell does that mean? Because it's part of our identity. Like we're Asian. You can't change these things. Looking at other generations, like they have a big influence on you too. If they also feel that you're not Asian enough. I see so many different levels of people that are either in touch with their culture or someone like myself trying to become more in touch that it is really nice. But I also know that there are generational issues or generational judgment per se. Oh, for sure generational judgment. Look at you a little bit different. I think being Asian American is, it is playing a game on hard mode because there is no right answer. There's so many different, there's Chinatown Asians, there's fourth, fifth generation. Like my ancestors built the railroad Asians. Even like your other Asian friends that can read Korean, can read Chinese yeah. saying, oh, you can't read that? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like judge for it, it. Judge no. me. Like I just, I can't read Korean. <laughs> can I ask a question? I was going through your Instagram. You have such great content and as a content creator. And I noticed that you have this super cool tattoo. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, so dragon. It's a dragon, which is uh-huh. again, a very Asian symbol. Was there any influence around that? Can you share what the story is behind that? It's yeah, yeah. stunning so, by the way. It's um, so cool. <laughs> thank you. So the dragon itself, obviously yeah. dragons in different cultures, especially Asian cultures have different meanings. I actually, I had this as a kind of like a stencil and then I drew and erased parts of it. So there's some Korean influence to it and some Filipina influence. Did you to draw it. that? Not all of it. There was a stencil you... and then I erased parts what? of it. What? Um, yeah, like specifically okay, with we... Palin's, specifically with like on his face as well, just because I'm mixed Asian and I wanted to represent that. One all of right. the times that actually was super apparent to me was during COVID. I think a wake up call that no matter what you do, if you don't think you're Asian enough, like you are Asian. And I think that was really like a big moment for me. And since then I leaned into my culture even more and made a bigger effort into learning like where I'm from and who I am. So at that point is when I actually got the tattoo was then it clicked a switch for me in my head that your ethnicity, your race, like you wear it. No one's going to take that away from you. So for me, that was like a very powerful moment. And I'm big on having like visual representations of moments and pivotal points in my life. I have the tattoo from that time. Can it take a moment? I think officially you are now more Asian than I am. Because <laughs> I, I have the dragon. Could... It's also bright red. Yeah. And which also the red has significance like in my life. It's also like I'm Korean. So part of the sure. flag. It's also yeah. part of the American flag. So it's got like all totally. these different tie-ins. That in of itself, like the fact that there's that reclamation. And again, I don't think I could draw that if I even a witness <laughs> that reclamation of your Korean name behind your ear. What other tattoos or how the pivotal moments did you feel like were important to you? I have a sword on my arm. It's, this one's pretty easy, like on my sleeve. Yeah. I went through a period where I wanted my company to always be about helping people, about educating, about making sure we were taking care of people. That's what our influencer agency does is we're trying to democratize the creator space. So that mm. means helping influencers find brand deals, making sure they're being paid a fair rate and being paid on mm-hmm. time because there is no union for influencers, for creators. Yeah, Same for thing sure. with athletes. So for the sword for me, Athena, the goddess, she is the goddess of education, of nurturing, mm. of all the above. So that was like a big moment for me in realizing like that is a big part of my identity, but also a big goal that I have is that anything I do, any company I start or work for, that's always going to be something that's important for me. I love that. I want to dig into that. So let's go through the questions super quickly. When you were reading through the questions, were there any questions that you felt like, were there any other victories that kind of like along your journey that was like, that was when everything changed for me? Definitely one of them was I got an award in college that kind of solidified what I was doing. I think that was big for me. Just starting like jumping out on a row off the cliff and starting a company. 
when I had a full-time <laughs> job. That was fun. Lots of fun did conversations you, around did that. You, did you always want to start a company, by the way? I think it wasn't. Growing up in my town, we actually were lucky. We had something called PLT, which was like a accelerated science, math, and engineering program, RIT. I was in that program for engineering and biomedical sciences. So I actually did four years of an accelerated college program in my high school for all four years. I was doing a lot of kind of more college and big level things. So I always thought I wanted to be a biomedical engineer. I actually went to college and started getting into pre-med for biomedical engineering at Rutgers as a student athlete. And it was really about two years in that number one, realized that wasn't for me. And also I was on the rowing team and I also was on the executive board of a lot of clubs and organizations. Nice. And I think both of them, rowing being such a time intensive sport, I wasn't going to be able to commit all the time I needed to be a biomedical engineer. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting all these leadership positions. Mm -hmm. I was the representative for all student athletes to the university and to our student mm -hmm. government. I was leader in a number of other clubs too. And it solidified not only that I always wanted to be a leader, but again, it was always fighting for people and always representing people and trying to push forward whatever struggles we had going on or whatever we were facing and helping come to a solution and even just be the representing constituent of everyone as a student athlete, as just a student at Rutgers. I think it was then it really solidified for me. You want to help people. And mm -hmm. where I wanted to go in that time was sports and media and just like that space. So I realized then I need to be an entrepreneur. What I want is not here and how I want to do it and how I don't want to give in to someone else's opinion or for the bottom line for the ROI. I'm not going to be able to do it unless I do it outside of the current system. Love it. I would love to dive in and ask a little bit more about, especially because such a big part of what you have done is demonstrated leadership. And I think Asian American women in particular, there is just such a massive problem in how few there are. I think the most recent study done by, I want to say McKinsey was that they're mm -hmm. showing something like, like 1.7 or 1.8% of all CEOs are Asian women. Yeah. It is, and it's going down over the past few years, not up. And that is just a ridiculous travesty. So I would love to talk about leadership and ask a little bit more. And of course, we'll talk about how do you promote? Because that is a big part of your expertise. You work with influencers. People really underestimate how hard it is to be an influencer. Like they wake up, they're planning content, they're filming content, yeah. they're editing. Like editing, people underestimate how difficult it really is. It is oh so God. difficult to sit there with a very tiny phone or an iPad and just drag so you can get this perfect clip, add <laughs> captions, like the perfect CTA, everything. It's difficult. So people underestimate how hard it really is. I need to have an offline chat with you about that. I and mean, I'm so proud of this. Like we have 230 something thousand followers now, which took a while. Don't get, yeah, okay, yeah. Like you have what, 80 million followers <laughs> thing. So I'm not going to throw that like it's a big number because it's not, but I so appreciate that. And I would really love to learn how it is that you come to connect with that because I think a big part is self-promotion. And Asian Americans, we're not known for our self-promotional skills. We're not known for being the one to raise our hand first and saying, look at me, yeah. I'm awesome. We culturally have been taught that's a bad thing. So I would love to hear how to navigate that as a set of steps. I think that's something I had to overcome too, because ingrained in me, I think that's always something I thought, even my parents being Caucasian, but also having Asian friends, like they didn't really like self-promote themselves either. And my parents aren't like boisterous people. They're very like normal, calm. And I was always like that. I think growing up for a little bit, but then I realized you always have to advocate for yourself. 
But I think overcoming not promoting yourself and not being necessarily like out there and wanting to just talk about yourself and be honest and open with people so they can connect to you. I think that's something mm-hmm. I had to overcome for sure. Because mm-hmm. growing up, I was always a little bit outspoken, a little bit like of a kid leader. But as I got older, there were times that other people would push you down for trying to be a leader or trying to yeah. self-promote. There are a lot of influencers that talk about their friends when they first started, like ragging on them for posting so much or like mm-hmm joking around on social media or posting pictures of themselves. I think there was a recent TikTok of a girl taking pictures at a baseball game and girls behind her were making fun of her. And there was a lot of controversy too about bullying and how like when people are making fun of you for self-promoting, for trying to be a content creator, an influencer or a leader, because you need to put yourself out there to get attention, to be put on a platform that you can grow. So Mm. even though it's necessary, you're always going to face people that are always going to maybe not necessarily bully you, but they're going to have comments. They're going to say things. And that's something that I've always faced. So again, my coworkers, my constituents were pushing on like, why are you talking to other people? Like, why are you going outside of what you have right now? Like, why are you promoting Mm. yourself on social media, on LinkedIn? Like, why are you putting your foot in a door that you don't really belong in? And I think that was something I I always had to fight. And it's made me more comfortable being uncomfortable and also Mm. just putting my foot in places I probably should not be, but (laughs) just feeling confident in that I did it before. I'm going to do it again. What's the worst thing? say no. And I love that mindset. You're absolutely right. So what would you tell somebody who is, let's say, feeling a little bit more shy or grew up in an environment where they were taught to keep your head down and work hard and let somebody else notice you? First and foremost, I think the mindset. And then we'll talk about the strategy for how to communicate that self-advocacy. I love that word. What would the mindset be of like, I'm not good enough. It's not my place. It's not my right to speak up. I would just say do it. (laughs) Even then, I think I had more hesitation then or more like imposter syndrome that, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this maybe it's not for me maybe I'm like stepping on my own toes or stepping on someone else's toes I definitely had those thoughts before and mm-hmm. I still have them now if mm-hmm. you really truly believe that you should do something mm-hmm. if you should jump into a different industry if you should go to a different job if you should explore another career path I wholeheartedly think you should I think mm-hmm. we all know ourselves better than other people know mm-hmm. if you really want something and you really know that you will work towards it I think that we should all do it so how do we know we should and I think this is a tough question for a lot of people who've been especially if they've been in a position for a while where they're like, this is comfortable for me. And that seems like a scary thing for me to challenge the status quo. What if I lose my job? What are these kind of things? How do you know an answer? No, you should, even if it's just, but I want that, but don't know if I should take that leap. Yeah. I think there's definitely an aspect of like preparation, responsibility, the adult things in the room. But I think part of it too, is just knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable and being able to take the step of leaping into faith and just doing it. And I think when you do that, Mm. you'll have some sort of calmness or some sort sort of like satisfaction, like you will feel a certain way if you know that it was for you and you're doing it, you'll be happy. Mm -hmm. When I started opening up and being a representative, being a leader, like I was so much more happy. There was such a calmness Mm -hmm. to it that I could deal with the struggles that I had with how my team was treating me at the time. Like Mm -hmm. I was so happy and I did not care about those things. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in corporate America at my last job at the Mets, when people were talking about me behind my back or just saying, oh, she shouldn't quit her full-time job and start a company, whatever it might be. When I finally decided decided that I was going to like just jump off the ledge and do it. I was so calm. I did not care about what people were saying. I didn't care about the doubts people had. It meant absolutely nothing to me. And Mm. I was so like satisfied with the work I knew I was going to do. So I think every time you take that jump, feel something different inside of you that like what you're about to do is right for you. Did you ever experience any imposter syndrome? Oh yeah. I think every time you step into a room and you're the only Asian American, you may be the only female. And for Mm. myself, I'm also pretty young. So 
all those things. I always get into the room like, okay, this is what it's going to be today. Like, all right. And sometimes like you can feel the imposter syndrome where you're like, should I really be here when a 20 year C-suite is asking you like 50 questions about like how many views or how many dollars mm -hmm. you're going to bring in for them. And like you have an answer or you need to step back and collect an answer. It can mm -hmm. be really nerve wracking being put on the spot like that. Mm -hmm. Almost being tested more often than probably someone who doesn't look like you or isn't the same age as you and maybe not even the mm -hmm. same gender. So I think like you're always going to have those moments. Mm -hmm. I think it's about how you handle yourself and also how you talk to yourself in those mm -hmm. moments and afterwards and just say, okay, like this is a uncomfortable situation, but it's a situation that like you've worked hard to be in and it's okay to not always know the answer and it's okay to have to send them an email afterwards. But regardless, like you got here for a specific reason. It wasn't just chance. I want to dive deeper into that because that, how do you talk to yourself? That got my attention. You know, in those kind of experiences when you are in that room talking to a 20 year CEO who's been like, why should we trust you as opposed to that other whatever company is coming in with big numbers and matching huge amounts of portfolios. How do you then go, okay, yeah, I hear you. And how do you deal with that internal self-doubt? I think I'm still dealing with that today. Even like right now, <laughs> I'm like daily pitching companies, like blue chip companies, like Kellogg's, mm -hmm. TurboTax, Macy's, like mm -hmm. the ones everyone knows. And mm -hmm. I'm even right now pitching an event that involves a lot of NBA players and a lot of really big companies. And it's cool. I think for me, I try to frame it for myself. Like this is cool. Like this is actually a cool thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it. And I think the second part of it is again, like telling myself when you get there, when you get to that place in the room or you're talking to them, just talk about what you know. The mm. reason why you're there is because of what you know and because somebody knows you and what you know. Mm. There's a reason why you're in the place that you are. And I think for me, just knowing that and presenting the information I have and half the time when I'm talking to them, I tell them something they don't know, whether it's mm. about like how to utilize your social media correctly or about like how many views we assume somebody can get based on their audience based on their creator demographics. If I'm talking about running ads, about geofencing, why this will work, why this, everybody doesn't know everything. I think there's a lot of different reasons to be okay with the room that you're in and still have a level of confidence, even if you're not 100% confident. You know, what I'm hearing from this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing from this is that the key takeaway is we tend to go into these kind of rooms or these kind of spaces as in like, they're there to evaluate us, the person, like us, your expertise. But the truth is that, well, this might be a good thing or a bad thing depending on how you view it but very few people actually care about us and yeah they're not really i think they definitely have some preconceived notions of oh they're really young and like how could they yeah. possibly know that but the industry i'm in particular whether it's sports whether it's specifically collegiate sports or whether it's like influencer marketing social media marketing like this is actually something that was not around yeah. when they were like in their prime like when yeah. they were younger so yeah. how could you possibly know more about this than i know who's been in this their whole like career no other person can relate to the people that you are working with better than the person who is most closest to them. And I think that's a big part of it too, is like we work off of a lot of relationships and right. like I have better relationships with the clients that I work with because I've gone through or know a lot of the things that they're struggling with. So where you're coming in from is and you don't have to trust in, am I good enough? But the expertise I have is, right? Like the content, the information, I know this to be real. I know this to be good. And I'm here to make an offering. This is something that I've experienced so many times and so many of the coaching clients I've worked with have experienced time and time again, anytime it's coming to imposter syndrome, the deepest fear is always, am I good enough? Am I enough? And am I worthy? It's almost mm -hmm. just those two fears coming up over and over again in different wrappings. And when it's, am I enough? The question is one, of course you are. 
not because you've done something or been something, but because you just are you. Yeah. But more importantly, they're not there to evaluate you. They're there to evaluate the information you provide. And if you know your information that you're there to make an offering of is good, then they won't care because all they care about is what's my transformation? What is the transformation I'm going to go through once I implement your strategies? And sometimes I've been in those kind of rooms where I'll make a pitch. <laughs> I'll say something and it's like just that one sentence changes their entire view of the mm -hmm. work. And therefore me. And yep. it's not about me. I could just leave that and be like, it's not about me, but here's the work. Here's That's what it's about. Because at the end of the day, like business is business. Business is business. Yeah. So you don't have to be anything more, better, different or more. It's just, what is it that you're bringing in? I love this. I could go on for this for ages and talk about all the struggles of the inner critic, but your expertise really and strategies comes into self-promotion. So many of us are invisible to our superiors and such like that. How do we create a system where we can be seen without being braggy? Number one is doing it. Second mm -hmm. part of number one is like doing it professionally in an mm -hmm. organized way, because I think that's something that that a lot of people don't know about creators is that like they have a content schedule. They like mm. plan out their ideas when it comes to brands. There's a very strict cadence and schedule. There's compliance, there's guidelines, there's approval processes. Like it's very complicated, mm. but it is all again, like very scheduled and organized. So I think that's a lot of it too, is like knowing what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, those types of things. But then there's also a self part to it too, that getting your content out there, it does show people like who you are, gives them the information, like lets you be seen, but it also also gives you a level of expertise and hmm. gives you something to speak from that I think people don't think about. Like you may be the expert in computer mouses, but <laughs> if you're not out there talking about like how great your computer mouse is or your knowledge or the things that you can yeah. do with this computer mouse, yeah. people don't know that you're the expert. Like you could have won hmm. all the awards, but unless somebody saw that you won that award because it was publicized hmm. or talked about, they don't know. But a hmm. person like a Gen Zer is out there talking about every computer mouse out there, how that computer mouse can be used, the different tricks that it has, like on the mouse pad, everything like that. Mm -hmm. People are going to look to them because they see the content. So you're capturing the audience. You're actually giving people something to see and giving them like a piece of content that there is going to find them. But if you didn't show that you had that education, they don't know that you're an expert. And even like when you walk into a room and someone knows that you have all the expertise, because I saw that video, like they're probably not going to question you as much as they would than mm -hmm. someone else. How do you currently get your influencers to create a strategy for consistently creating that because that's tough, right? Mm -hmm. I think we all semi undervalue what we know and we almost overvalue what everyone else knows. And we kind of just, I just do this, this is easy for me. So it yeah. must be easy for everyone. How do you create a system where you're regularly updating that? And how would that apply not just to influencers, but for just everyday folk? No one was born with all the knowledge of how to be an influencer. So everything mm. is always learned. So if you look at mm. a creator or you look at a professional and think, oh, like they know too much, like I could never get there. If I try to do it, I won't be successful they were at some point that you were in time because mm. they did not know what they know now. So you can still mm. learn. And I think that's something that for people who are worried about becoming content creators or maybe scared off from doing a certain thing because there are so many people doing it or so many people doing it successfully, maybe even what you want to do specifically, like they were at a place that you were where they had to start, they had to mm. learn. So right. I think that shouldn't scare you off. And when it comes to planning your content, things like that, there are a lot of tools out there that will tell you the best time for you to post is 12 mm -hmm. o'clock on a Tuesday 
day, or there's systems like later, even Canva, where you can schedule out content. You can create content. There are so many tools mm -hmm. out there that can help you be better at what you do that a lot of times they're also free. So taking advantage of them. What are your favorite free tools? I love beacons right now. Beacons has a link in bio. So the link that you see that's clickable in everyone's social media has an invoicing tool. It has a media kit. There's community aspect to it. So I love them. Also personally, they're just great people to work with, but also for our student athletes, we suggest that they use it to create their link in bio, but also to create mm. like the invoicing. Cause a lot of right. student athletes have never their way pre-learning what all the influencers already know things like, Oh, how do I invoice someone? I need to send a W9 at the end of the year. I need my 1099. So they're at that beginner stage. So that's a product that is very like beginner friendly. So I like them a lot. And then our whole company and every company I consult for, we build a database in Notion. So I'm like a huge oh, Notion person. Yeah. yeah Notion is great. Notion. Can we take a quick left turn here and talk about your role as an Asian female CEO and as a leader? What has it been like as a leader all your life to be in that? Has anyone ever challenged you in that experience? I think for me, I have a bit of an inner confidence. So I'm always someone that says, I'm just going to keep working hard. Yeah. Even if I come across these roadblocks, if someone does challenge me or something challenges me, I'm always going to keep working. I know that there's never a reason to just stop what you're doing because it's mm -hmm. not going to get better if you just stop what you're doing. Even if it means pausing and working on something else or pausing and navigating around, that's not stopping. So I think that's always been like a big part of how I worked. Has anyone like you do have that? And that's why I'm so curious about it. Have you ever run to somebody, you know, and maybe it is a, a another CEO who's just come in who challenges you. There's terms in the industry we talk about like microaggressions and people like I've heard of Asian female CEOs who saw that from their own teams, cut them down kind of situations in meetings. I think it happens when you work with more people as well. Like I had a lot of microaggressions of, oh, like she shouldn't be doing that. Or, oh, she only got this because of this. I think there are a lot of things that people can tear you down. People said that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it just happens. That's always going to be how it is. Like you're going to face that whether you're in high school and college, whether you're in corporate America or you're 20 plus years in corporate America, people are always How, how do you deal with that? If somebody said, oh, like you only got there because I'm assuming like race or whatever, DNI, whatever those uh -huh. kind of things. How do you deal with that? Do you put it down immediately? Do you address it? Do you let it go and just be zen about it? Honestly, it's terrible, but it's also funny because no one knows the things that you go through behind closed doors. So no one knows mm -hmm. necessarily how hard you work. They only see the sure. product. So mm -hmm. if they're saying like, you only got this because you're Asian to start off with, and like, they're just trying to fill like a quota. It's why is there a quota? And that quota mm -hmm. is there for a reason. And like, you don't know all the things that I had to do to get to where I am. Same thing with being a woman or same thing with even like being pretty. Like there are a lot of things that happen behind closed doors that people don't know that I think because they're uninformed about the process and they're uninformed about the work, they just see the product. They're always going to have some type of thing to say. The idea of Karens and like, you only see what's on the surface. That's always going to be something that's going to happen. And I think for me, it definitely does affect you. I think because you want people to like you, you want people to also appreciate what you've done and like where you've come and congratulate you. And when they don't, it does of course stink. But at the same time, like we have to understand that they don't see what's underneath the surface. I do have another tattoo. It's a rose and underneath the surface is a lot of roots. I got that because it's the idea that like you grow so much under the surface, what people don't see. And even when you feel mm -hmm. that you're like under the ground, you know, you're in a hard time, you put in so much work to grow and grow your roots and your like base that people mm -hmm. don't even know. They only see the product. So I think that's always something that I've realized for myself is that like people just don't know and it's okay. They'll get over it. <laughs> You'll keep succeeding and doing well and working hard and getting to your next goal, but it's just yeah. going to happen. 
What would you say were been some of your biggest victories along the way so far in your journey? When I was in college, I got this award called the Bridge Builder Award. So it was actually the first year they started it. So I got the inaugural award and it was our chancellor of the university was awarding like certain students for the work they had done. And actually I was awarded for bridging the gap between our students, our student athletes, our university, our student government, like all the constituents basically. And for me, like I had spent that whole year and year prior making friends on other teams and branching out and doing different organizations and like becoming a leader off the water and helping people and doing what I could, volunteering all the above. And it was almost validating for me that like I had put in all that work and that it was recognized and appreciated. But also like I went through a lot of stuff, like I said, to get there, like my team criticizing me and not being as close with them or like even maybe like other athletes or coaches like saying things like, oh, she's not as focused on her team because I might be with like another team asking them like, how could we improve this and then take it back to our university? So for me, that was like really validating. And also I think something that helped me as I got older and even where I am now, that was a moment that I'm proud of and that mm. validated me so I could continue on what I was doing. I got to call this out, of course, is that recently you won the Asian Hustle Network's Unsung Asian Heroes Award. Congratulations. Thank How you. did it feel to win that? I think getting the Unsung Heroes Award for me solidified like how important it was to continue to push forward like for people that are also Asian, for women, for young founders, for anyone really that like people see you and mm -hmm. what you are doing is helping them, whether you're directly helping them or they see mm -hmm. you just as an awardee or just the work that you've done. Because a lot of people don't think they can do things until they can see them. Like not everyone's a visionary. And if they don't see people out there doing those things, like they don't think or believe that they can do them. And I think for me, like getting an award specifically for my constituency, like being Asian, that yeah. almost for me was validating in like the idea idea that like I'm not Asian enough because my name is Ruby Brown because mm. my parents are Caucasian because I don't speak Korean because I'm still learning a lot of things about my culture like it's okay like I'll learn those things those are things yeah. I can gain but no one can ever take away the fact that I'm Asian what were some of the biggest challenges and setbacks you feel like you ran into along this journey again like when I was in college like not being as close with my team and them always like separating me from the team because I was mm. getting so close with other teams because I was so focused on being a representative because I was focused on things other than just being with my team. That was really hard for me. I almost left the university and went to another university to row because of it. But in the end, like I had decided to stay because I didn't want to give up. I am not mm. a quitter in any sense. So for me, that was like, I think one of the first big moments of oh, if they don't like me, it's okay. But like, I know why I'm here. I know what I'm doing and what I want to do in the future. And this is going to help me get there. Along the way, after that point, getting to the journey I am now, it's been other issues with my team or maybe it was other issues of people I worked with because of jealousy or because of their lack of vision of what I could do in the future or maybe their mm. thoughts about what they couldn't do in the future too. And then your typical founder stuff of having other co-founders and no longer having those co-founders. like what generating was, uh, Just for some context, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so when we first started the agency two years ago, there were four yeah. co-founders. Okay. About a year in, we separated and then went two and two. I had my co-founder, Joe. Was, we were together. Was there for a difference in vision that cause the separation? Yeah, I think in vision and even just like how we worked, we stopped working well together. And I think that's hard because having mm. friendships too that play along with that. Sometimes it just happens and like you have to figure
figure out what's best for the company and even best like for yourself and your mental health. I had some like physical and mental health struggles from taking on so much work and anxiety from trying to make everything work and trying to make everyone work well together. Mental health is real. You can work yourself to death. Like I was very sick, but also too, like you have to take care of yourself. Like you have to find a resolution. So things like that. It sounded like that was burnout that you went through. Yeah, pretty much. It was burnout. And it was interesting. Like it physically manifested itself. Like I like had this like infection in my face. And if you see it, it's on my social media. Like it looks like I got kicked by an elephant. And so because of that, it just came from stress of trying to work so hard, traveling constantly to get new clients, to fulfill our influencer counts, all the above. So that was a big lesson I had to learn too, was that like mental and physical health, taking care of yourself so you can help others is very important. I coach people and we have one of the systems that we talk about is the seven patterns that we see particularly commonly with Asian Americans. And one of the patterns that we see is that of the overachievers, perfectionist. And we're all of the seven patterns, right? All of us are multiple versions of ourselves, (laughs) but that I definitely see so often coming out. And I feel like with entrepreneurs and founders, that's like a whole different level. Yeah. Overachievers, I think in like corporate nine to fives, like it's like coming in early, staying late, Mm. working through your lunch, like just doing extra. For founders, it's like my workload is I get up early, I work, I have meetings all day, and then I'm working between those meetings. And then I might have to step out for an in-person lunch meeting. And then I might have an event or like a premiere that I'm not like, it's not like a party. It's not social. It's networking. I have people on a paper that I like have to check off that I'm talking with. It's very different. And I think even that I am an overachiever naturally. I am a workaholic, but I love what I do, which makes it so much easier, which makes it easier to overwork too. I had to get into the habit of like time management and time blocking. So I have a set time I start in the morning, a set time I have meetings. I try to end like at a certain time, at least for meetings, take a break and eat, and then we'll start back up. I do still work late, but like I do try to take like at least one day off on the weekend just because like we're so used to overworking and like that being like our norm. I feel like it's such a big part of our core values almost. I was having a chat with my therapist a few weeks ago and I was- Honestly, we all have (laughs) ones. Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer. (laughs) If you don't, I suggest it. It's great. It's like a third person you can complain to that really can't judge you outside of there because confidentiality. 100%. (laughs) Like you're paying them to not judge you. They absolutely can't. And I was reflecting on this. I run my own business. I've been, I have a book and everything like that. And it got to a point in which I'm writing this book and it's become like such a block. And I'm like trying to figure it out. And my therapist asked, what does it mean for you to write this book? What would you want to see happen? In my mind, I'm like, this book has to be the greatest book ever written. <laughs> Just uh-huh. full honesty. That was the back of my story that uh-huh. was telling my mind was that if it wasn't, then it won't be good enough. Mm-hmm. If it's not perfect, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And she took me through a process. She kind of, okay, so what is that inner child? I love inner child work. What is that inner child mm-hmm. saying? in that moment. And what my inner child was saying was basically like, I just want a weekend. And if this book is transformational and changes the world and brings transformation Mm -hmm. to millions of Asian people all over the world, then I get a weekend. And I was in this middle of a thing where I was like, I was laughing. I was crying and laughing at the same time. That's the most ridiculous thing you ever Oh yeah. And like for me too, I'm like, oh my gosh, if this deal goes well, I am going to take my morning and I'm going to eat breakfast like at a restaurant on the beach. Normal people, like I see them like around my apartment complex, like my friend yeah. Like, oh, like all my friends, big travelers, like they go, yeah. like they're in Cabo, they're in the Virgin Islands, yeah. like they're in Our Europe. Z- and I'm like, I have literally never done any of that because I've only ever been working. And I have been to some of those places, but you know what? I was working too. And I got to write it yeah. off of my taxes, yeah. but it is just a constant working. And like what we want from it is so little, I think. But if you enjoy what you do at the same time, it doesn't feel like work. And I think that's also mm-hmm. hard for people to understand too. Yeah. It's finding that balance so that we're not in the hospital and we're not burning as I've yeah, I haven't been since then, so that's really good. I learned a lot from that. 
that. Also spoke in a podcast about working yourself to death and that being like a literal thing I almost did. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we got it. We got to check that out. If you want to throw the link on there, I'll put that in the notes. If you go back in time to where you were five years ago and you were to have a chance to give yourself some advice, what would it be? It would be the same advice that I'm still learning to take now is just mm. do it. And it doesn't matter what other people say. I think every point in my career that like I've gotten to a point where I worked really hard at something and was able to achieve it, the things that I look back on as challenges, I don't look back at like people saying no or like mm. me having to reshape how I look at a deal or how I structure how I pitch it or even like how I design an event. I don't think about those things. When I look back the things I had to overcome, it was like how other people treated me because mm. I was doing those things or like the self-doubt I may have had because of that or just because it was such a big task. So if I had to go back all the way to college, all the way to my corporate career, even now, mm. it's just do what you believe that mm. you need to do and continue working. And it really does not matter what other people think. Love that. Do you have any unconventional types of advice that you find yourself giving that people go, wait, what? Use Notion. I like, <laughs> I, I don't know how many times I can say use Notion, but I love Notion. Like our whole company database is built out in there. It's so nice because in the past few years, like I've automated everything. So like we can yeah. click a checkbox and it sends yeah. off things for other people to do. Like all of our information is in there. I've gotten to a point now where companies call in asking for assistance on what I built out or mm -hmm. even like the public facing, like it's called our creator card or our roster card, like what we have. They look at it and they want to get to that point. So they'll call in. So unconventional is definitely that. Can we get a peek at what that looks like? The roster cards and stuff? Oh yeah, definitely. I'll show that. It's very nice. So. Awesome. <laughs> but also too, I think just like time management, allowing yourself to take breaks during the day. That's something mm. I learned too, was like working really hard and like knowing when you're doing certain things, but don't forget to eat lunch and don't forget to take time off for dinner. If you want to keep working like into the night, that's fine, but have an ending point. You have to still take care of yourself. And that's definitely something big I learned in the last five years. So when you say something big, taking time for yourself, are you saying scheduling time specifically out to create that? Yeah, I have to yes. schedule time to take a lunch, to take a dinner, to go work out wow. because I've been training daily since I was in college still. So I still keep that up now. So I still have to schedule time in for myself. I actually have a schedule block for connecting with my friends and FaceTiming them, checking up with them, checking on my family. I have to schedule that in because I will work myself so hard that I get to a point like run down where like I'm too tired to talk to them or mm -hmm. like I just keep working and I forget. Like I put a phone on and say, oh, I'll call them later. And then suddenly it's the weekend. Like working that hard, it's something that like so many of us do, but like you can't forget about those other things. If you can't remember them or you can't make time for yourself, you have to schedule it in. Are there any systems, frameworks, or techniques that you've developed sometime along the way? Networking. And I know like everyone says, oh, you should network. You should talk to people. Every job I've ever had, every connection I have, everything that I'm able to do in what I do now for a career just came from networking. It came from being in a room where maybe I was uncomfortable. I was the only young person, female, or even just, I was like, I had no idea who was in that room. They stem from those interactions or like reaching out to people on LinkedIn who have a similar job or a job you want, or even you're just like genuinely interested about them. Wow, that's great. What tech do you have a system that you use for networking or do you just kind of do it on the fly? Yeah, like business networking, it's a combination between they might work at a company that we want to work with or that I worked with in the past, reaching out on LinkedIn, social media. I am a member of Soho House. So a lot of times like I'll be there and someone will come up because they have a system on their app where everyone's profile who's in the house at that moment shows up on your screen. So sometimes like I see someone that I recognize and I might say Amazon or I might say TikTok and they'll approach me or I'll approach them. At like networking events in general, there are so many listservs you can get on. There are people who throw networking events. There's pop-up shops, like all 
all of them have places and times where you can meet people and going there and seeing a name tag that says like influencer or like manager, mm -hmm. or even says like CBS, it's, oh, like I used to work for, or I know so-and-so, do you know them? And you're always going to find like a mutual point. Final question, which is what is a question do you wish people will ask you more often? Two things. Whenever I network with someone, I always ask them like, what can I do for you? A lot of times it's something simple. When I ask that of students, it's always very interesting because if I'm not offering them a job, they don't know what I could do for them. But I always tell them like, if you have a question, send me an email. I have free office hours twice a week for students, student athletes, influencers, anyone that needs it, like they're free. Anyone can come in and sign up for them. Students, if they're asking me to help them network, I'll help them network. If they're asking for, do you know someone at this company or do you see a job description? If I saw it, I will definitely send it your way. And I think that people don't ask enough could you help me with this because they're scared mm. of something, especially like younger adults, especially even like Asians, we just don't ask for people to do things. And I think that's something that I definitely had to get over was asking people like, hey, do you know someone here? Or I'm interested in this, even mm. like networking, like you don't think about, hey, like I'm talking to them, they know I'm talking about them for this job, like they know yeah. I want this. So like, just yeah. ask for it, but yeah. like actually build a relationship and a rapport with them at the same time. Mm. I think like we're so worried that people will say no, or be so worried what people might think of us but in the end like we all have connections that people are looking for we all have businesses like whatever it is we have something that other people need or want and it's okay to ask as mm -hmm. long as you're not demanding or as long as like you have a good intention I don't think people should not ask the question thank you for that if you want to find out more either about your office hours or just about you or working with you what's the best way to do that yeah you can find it on my social media which is at Rachel Mang you can also find it on our agency website on any of our other agency social media. It's all linked back to the same stuff. So it's all right there. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Rachel. You've been absolutely incredible. Go check out Rachel's stuff. And yeah, once again, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you again for having me. As Asian Americans, we are as strong as our collective community. So if there's something that you found valuable in this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media. And if you like the show, leave us a review and send us a screenshot and you might win some big Asian energy merch, which we give out every month. So you can go out there and own your big Asian energy. <laughs>